Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while <laughs> masturbating. That's, That's Mo Pawn. Yeah. yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly, bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow. Hey, Doug. Let me ask you a quick question. Was it too? Was it really obvious that I was? Desperately trying to find my sound clip snippet there. <laughs> I, I did feel like you were trying to stretch out a few <laughs> syllables. <laughs> Mo, uh, one thing you didn't mention in your uh, brief introduction there is that this is actually a very special episode, <laughs> as they always are of No Budget Nightmares. This is episode 50. Yeah. Episode 50 of No Budget Nightmares. Who would have thought it would have taken us several years to get here? What a long, strange, <laughs> boring, inconsistent, unevenly spaced trip it's been. It has been very unevenly spaced as the motorcycle drives behind me. That's right. Well, that that was that that's Bruce Springsteen getting out of Jersey. <laughs> baby, just... <laughs> baby, he was born to run. Uh, now, Mo, this yes. week on the No Budget Nightmares podcast, which you co-host with me, uh, we're going to be covering 1984's. Or 1986s, depending on where you're looking. Combat Shock. Yes. By Buddy Giovanazzo. Buddy G. Buddy G. Now, uh, one of the reasons that I think it's a good idea and a good, a good thing that we're covering Combat Shock is that uh, some, um, some fans of the show might know that over the last couple of episodes, I've actually been doing uh, some of the editing on the episodes themselves. Right. And when I'm doing that... All I'm noticing are some of my own strange verbal tics and uh, speech patterns and things that I don't like about myself. <laughs> and the thing I notice most of all, and something that people have actually said to me, is that I don't ever stop laughing during the show. Like, I just laugh all the time like a fucking idiot. Um, and, like, I laugh after everything you say. I think uh, someone mentioned recently that often you'll say something clever, and then I'll just repeat it back and laugh. Like, you something <laughs> That I have noticed. <laughs> well, you just say so many clever things that I wish I said. Please. That's all. Uh, so I thought that a good way to get around my inability to stop laughing at things was to pick <laughs> the most depressing fucking movie ever to I th- watch. And I think you fucking nailed it. Because here's the thing about Combat Shock, people who are listening who might not already know. Uh, it's It's a bummer <laughs> <laughs> it's a total fucking bum trip it really is i was thinking about it today because sometimes when i'm at work and i'm like oh i wish i was anywhere else doing anything. i wish i was dead <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking it, if you had to 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 describe combat shock it obviously takes a lot from taxi driver mm-hmm. and there are elements from like the deer hunter so it's like taxi driver 
meets the deer hunter, except more depressing than both of those. Which is very hard to believe. Yeah, it's hard to believe. And it's even harder to believe that this horrifically depressing movie was released in kind of the heyday of trauma. I know, right? And they gave it a sort of, I wouldn't say a cartoonish box cover, but certainly one that you could mistake for being... An action film? An action film or or something that would fit in more with the sort of films that Troma were releasing at that time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so lots of people in the 80s and early 90s were... Uh, were Duped is the word. Bamboozled. Yeah. <laughs> into seeing Combat Shock. But the, the kind of the ironic thing, if I can use that word about that, is... Combat Shock is better than almost every trauma movie. <laughs> it's you know it's it's I was just going to mention that. It's true. It's such a depressing movie, but it really is so much better than so much of the stuff that Trauma was putting out or has put out since. Now, it's a very derivative movie because sure. I just mentioned those movies that that it, it's sort of it's sort derivative of, of. <laughs> are derivative of. Yeah, absolutely. But it actually has its own point of view. It brings a lot of itself to the kind of party, so to speak. And when it gets brutal, it's brutal in a way that you can sort of recognize in the world. Uh, So it feels like, you know, that it's got a grittiness and a griminess that feels very much of its time and of its place. But it also feels very real. And also, when you take into account that the kind of climate that this movie was made in where uh you know the the economy was in the shitter and and it was impossible to find a job. And, so right now? Yeah, right? So <laughs> and, and the, the idea of even trying to get out of your station in life that that seemed impossible because even the 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 people you reach out to are struggling just as much. Um the thi- this movie is uh, depressing and apocalyptic, and it feels like all of the characters are desperate all the time. And uh, that's why we're going to walk through it <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can enjoy the, the soul-sucking depravity uh, with the two of us. Yeah. Buddy Giovanazzo. Buddy G. At least his name is a lot of fun to say. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, Mo? Uh, you know, at least there's something fun about this movie. There are a couple of things which are not entirely depressing, which we'll point out as we go along. But even they are just kind of little things in a field of dirt and shit and piss and cum and blood and just a lot of really unpleasant things, unless you put them all together, and then you got humanity. <laughs> uh, humanity, thy name is Combat Shock. <laughs> Episode 50, Combat Shock. Mo, is there anything that we have to talk about before we delve into this uh, this movie? Uh, I mean, not not really. I mean, well, actually, yes, now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, I write some of this shit down. Yeah, we really should uh, keep notes like during the the couple of weeks, you know. Um, yeah, I believe that the uh, the the greatest thing to happen over the last few weeks is that the oh, yes. the amazing picture that I made of uh, Jerry Angel um, with his glorious glorious mullet from Zombie Bloodbath, uh, where I where I named him Pope Mullitus the uh, Second. He 
uh, was actually contacted by somebody who had seen the picture and uh, shown it. And he responded. And I'm assuming liked it. I mean, he laughed. He seemed like he, he was amused by it. I mean, you can't deny that, Harry. You, you can't deny that that happened in your life. Right. Um, and, and, yeah, so for those who are maybe haven't been listening to the most recent episode, Jerry Angel appeared in a zombie bloodbath and in a lot of uh, Todd Sheets movies around that time period. Is an actor, had a glorious mullet. Amazing Mo, ginger mullet. Mo made a wonderful Pope-related uh, <laughs> picture over on our Facebook group. And yes, it was brought to the attention of Jerry Angel himself, and we were treated to a photo of modern Jerry Angel, which I was very curious about. Right. And I have to say, if someone was to press me and say, Doug, sit down and draw a picture of what you think he looks like now, (laughs) probably would have came up with something very similar. (laughs) You know, that's one of those hairstyles that people get really caught up in. You know, like people like I, I've noticed that because I've known a lot of mullets in my life and uh, and a lot of those people took a lot of cajoling to get rid of said mullets. And I know a few people who actually grew them back. So the idea that he was able to get himself away from the mullet and keep himself away from the mullet has that's a that's a big deal, especially no. especially that one. Now, I'm hesitant to say that entirely, Mo, because the photo in question, uh, which is actually available to look at if you uh, join the Todd Sheets Facebook group, uh, and we should probably bring over to our group as well, he's wearing a, sort of a do-rag right. over his head. So who knows what's underneath it? Right. it could be a, he could be packing a mullet underneath there, and I hope he is. <laughs> you mean like, uh, like sort of like a... Um uh, like the signs, you know that song "Signs," where these long-haired hippie people, you know, tuck his hair. By up the Five the... Man Electrical Band, yeah, that... his greatest band. Yeah, yes, that, of that course one. I know that song. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's like that. He tucked his hair up into his hat, you know. He no, tuck... no. Tell us more of the lyrics. He tucked his <laughs> mullet into the do rag. Imagine that. Imagine that. Working for you. <laughs> so anyway, I hope he has sort of like a compressed mullet under that uh, under that do rag, and that one day. We'll get to see it. Uh, and I'm just saying, Todd Sheets, put Jerry Angel in your movies. Right. Do it. <laughs> you listen to everything we say, right? <laughs> Apparently he does. <laughs> uh, but indeed, I'm glad that you remember that, Mo, because it had slipped my mind. And that is just a beautiful, that's one of those beautiful, no budget nightmare specific things. <laughs> I, lo- I love that shit. <laughs> where, where are weird jokes something that we get kind of semi-obsessed with for a little bit of time it's like let's grow this into something that is way beyond the scope of what it should be. yeah i know it's just some dude has a haircut and we make him the fucking pope <laughs> ah, but anyway enough of that hilarity and lightness and mm. combat shock really doesn't contain any mullets at all no no i know it's it's a shame really what it does have is uh, Nam flashbacks. Yeah, out the wazoo. Out the wazoo. In fact, the film, see what I'm doing here? I'm transitioning. Thank you. Starts with actual Vietnam footage. Yeah. That's, I, that, that's that war that your country was in. Uh, my, not my country. <laughs> <laughs> not my war. Not my president. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's, that's cool, though. I'm glad they used like actual footage. Uh, you know, and we get introduced to the, you know, I mean, whatever we see bombings and helicopters and all this stuff you've seen a million times over already. Whatever. Right. That's what you have to say. It's passe. We've seen it. (laughs) 
but taking into account 1983, uh, we were they were still in sort of the. I guess once the U.S. film industry hit the late 70s, it was all ready. It was then okay to make Vietnam movies, so you could have something like uh, Rolling Thunder, and you can have eventually First Blood and all that sort of shit, uh, and of course Deer Hunter, and and this sort of is riding on the back of that wave of Vietnam interest, but almost all of those movies included someone who was really damaged by that war. Right. And, uh, and <laughs> in this case, we see why he would be damaged because of that real life footage, which includes like a bunch of, like it shows like a flamethrower burning thing. Yeah. And some fucking napalm going down. And shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it looks like it was a really unpleasant thing to go through. Uh, and, I mean, it's 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 amazing, it's amazing to start with that because it is real, and the fact that uh, Buddy Buddy G in this case manages the transition to just a place in Staten Island, which happened to have the kind of overgrown swamp, and right. make it look like it matches up fairly well. Yeah, you know, I actually thought that I didn't realize it was filmed in Staten Island. I thought it was filmed in Florida. Like I thought those scenes were because it looks like Florida swamp. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so he matches it fairly well considering. Uh, so the, we start with, uh, again, going back to the idea of this being a, a riff on Taxi Driver. Right. There's a lot of voiceover. And in fact, the lead character in this movie, Frankie, uh, played by Rick Giovinazzo, the, the brother of the, the director, he, uh, he's been in the Vietnam War. Uh, and he has returned. And he, these voiceovers are giving us a sense of his mental state. It all looks the same. I can't tell one place from another. Somehow, I've got to get back. I love like the high reverb. You know, like this is a voiceover. <laughs> do not, do not confuse this for reality. I mean, for for a good fifteen minutes, yeah. uh, the movie consists entirely of his voiceover right. and flashbacks to to Nam and it's 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 actually amazing that they had the balls to go through that. Again, someone watching this for the first time with no context, they might think that it's going to turn into an action movie or even that it, certainly that it wasn't going to take place well 90% of it in in present day or present day of uh, 1983. Right. Yeah, cuz this movie this movie could have easily been about his time in Nam and just be told in retrospect. Yeah. And a lot of those flashbacks at first are a bit confusing because we don't really know what is going on. Right, exactly. We haven't really met anybody yet. We haven't been introduced to anybody. All we have is some guy in, you know, nom footage and this dude talking to himself or in inner dialogue, monologue, you know. The, the sense is that uh, him as a soldier, he and another soldier, I guess, were often sent on search and seizure things where he would be sent ahead to see, to kind of scout ahead for his platoon. Recon. Recon, that's exactly right. And at, when we kind of, most of the footage that we see here, he's actually sort of lost. He doesn't know what's going on. Right. And we don't really know what's going on either. And I, and it's got this kind of weird music playing behind it as well. Do we I, have that? Oh, you mean this music? We are going to hear that a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of that music, though. That said, I think the music in this movie generally is actually pretty good. Actually, it's really good. I, so, I like it. <laughs> you like it? I like it. I like it a lot. Um, <laughs> so the incident that we see, uh, has he's being followed because he's sort of lost in the jungle. He's being followed by this uh, woman 
uh, and he ends up having sort of a confrontation with her. And there's that music again. I keep telling myself, she's just a girl. The pressure. No! She's the end. I have to kill her. She's just a kid. I can't take it anymore! So we're like, I don't know. Five minutes into the movie, <laughs> actually a little bit further. Than, we're, uh, or, we're almost, I think, a little over ten minutes. Like ten minutes into the movie. Yeah, you're right. Then, like ten minutes into the movie, and so it's already. I mean, it gets pretty intense pretty fast. So the idea there, I'm sure you could tell by the clip, was that he. It's not really a conversation. He has basically a stare down with this young girl, and then and he he ends up shooting shooting her. her yeah. Then her family comes and 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 grieves over her body, and some of them run after him. But as he runs back, he finds like a big field full of like corpses and pieces of dead bodies everywhere. Right. And and at that point, I was very confused. I didn't know what the hell's going on. Uh, he trips up uh, where the the Viet Cong are after him, and they end up like beating him. That's yeah. the last that we see in this flashback. Right. Uh, but uh, and again, the, a lot of voiceover. A lot of it's a bit depressing. <laughs> I'm a hero. God help me. Yeah, and early in the film, you get a lot of that scream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we get to the bulk of the film, which is Frankie waking up in bed. Right. And we get to, you know, this is going to be a slice of life. And Frankie's life is honestly as bad as Vietnam. <laughs> It really is horrific. I was gonna say could arguably be worse. I mean, because at yeah. least at least in Vietnam, he's got the uh, the possible cold embrace of death at any moment. Here, he knows he's gonna be be living at least for a little while longer. <laughs> so we get a sense very quick of what his situation is. He lives in an apartment that is filthy looking. Right. Uh, he has uh, a wife that he doesn't seem to have any affection for at all. And who seems to have no affection for him. And they just scream at each other all the time. Or it's more actually more accurate that the wife screams at him and he just doesn't do anything. Women. Um, <laughs> I guess. And he has a son. <sighs> now let's talk about the son. <laughs> uh, what's notable about his child? Um... That he's mentally challenged? Is that the politically correct? That he's not a real baby? Okay, that's that second thing you said is much more accurate to the yeah. situation there. It's not even a baby. It's some sort of... Uh, it's goopy, like a mask. I mean, it's it's sort of similar, and you'll hear this comparison all the time, to the baby in a racer head. But I actually think that this baby is even more disturbing... Maybe because it's it's less like it's it doesn't even look organic. It's right. Almost like it's almost like uh, a mannequin. No, you know what it, you know what it looks like. It looks like somebody spread play doh over right. over a person's face, cut out eye holes, and then like hardened it. Yeah, it's horrific. It's looking. really it's really horrific looking. And all it does is cry the entire movie. And it's not like a regular cry. It's not like like they didn't go out and like record a baby crying it's almost like they specifically went into a sound studio and created a baby cry yeah and and it was it's almost like a low-pitched cry it's very robotic yeah that's been kind of mechanically uh turned into something high-pitched and it's it's not only irritating (laughs) 
<laughs> but it, they're going to play it all the time. But it's supposed to be. I mean, it's supposed to be affecting. Right. Because it's just another layer of the hell that he's living in. Right. Exactly. One of the things I thought about w- watching this movie is Jim, Jim Van Beber's uh, Deadbeat at Dawn. Right. Which we covered on this show. <laughs> the thing about Deadbeat at Dawn is, one thing, that's a really fun movie yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. That movie is kind of gleefully nihilistic. And this movie is just nihilistic. It's if this is like the end of the world here, and Debbie to Don, there's no real escape. But man, you know who cares? You right. Do do things right for yourself. But th- there's no even like, not even a, an element of a positive outlook in this movie. <laughs> Actually, in my um, in my notes at this point, I literally just have the word bleak. Yeah, and, and we're only like twenty minutes in. <laughs> yeah, so we are introduced to Frankie getting out of bed, and he's his, his underwear is filthy. Yeah, and he puts on some pants and goes into the bathroom, and the toilet isn't flushing. <laughs> I mean, uh, and his wife is very much, you know, her immediate concern is they need food for the child and right. for themselves, right? And they can't afford either. But I love, I love that his response. I love his response to that, though. Like when he goes into the kitchen and looks for food himself, and he's like, "What? There's milk here." <laughs> yeah, there's milk. Yeah. So, as we'll see. Yeah. Um, it should be mentioned that the original title for this movie wasn't Combat Shock. It was American Nightmares, uh, and that's. I mean, both of them are fairly uh, apt. I think titles for the movie. Right. I, I got to tell you, I think I like the name Combat Shock a little bit better. I do too, because there's yeah. no, it doesn't, there isn't, for one thing, it's appropriate, and I don't yeah. think there's any other movie called Combat Shock. It's right. all surprising. Yeah, right? Uh, it certainly catches your attention a little bit more. Yeah, American Nightmare sounds a little generic. And it sounds, and it sounds better than uh, post traumatic stress syndrome. Yes. <laughs> or disorder, <laughs> and, or whatever it's called. Th- that, it's actually interesting you mentioned that, because when you think back to. Taxi Driver. And now Taxi right. Driver is a great movie, right? And I mean, it's, it's, and it's also a really beautiful and obviously a technically more accomplished movie than this. Right. But the character of Travis Bickle compared to Frankie, Frankie is actually holding it. Travis actually has a much more positive life in a lot of ways, right? He has a job. <laughs> right. He has friends to some extent, right? At least people that he can talk to. Exactly. If he's not like, desperate for food or a roof or anything like that you know the the damage that's been done to him it it slowly comes out because even from the beginning we know he's a damaged person frankie is working his hardest to like to 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 mentally keep what was actually a much more traumatic experience out of his head at all times but he has nowhere he can look for help right yeah, so I mean, it's really understandable that where things go for him, like why they go there. <laughs> right, exactly, because we're at the point now where he's already borrowed money from people. He already owes like the local like loan shark, you know, and, and uh, like and so like he's and and you know like there's a point we see him at the unemployment office and they're like you have no skills, you know. So it's like he really is at that point where it's like you there's nothing he can do. By the way, the reason that his child looks so weird, at least according to his wife, is because of the what he was exposed to in Vietnam. Right. So it's like like Agent Orange or something like that has caused his child. Just again, we don't know the full story there, but it, it'll it'll come about sort of a little bit later. Mm. Yeah. So he goes out and gets. Uh, he opens his fridge, like you said. There's milk here. We have some milk left. Right. All that's inside the fridge is a, a liter of milk and a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then he takes a letter out of his pocket because things aren't bleak enough. Yeah, if he, things couldn't get worse. Right. And here's this. 
Occupant, after repeated correspondence, you have chosen to remain delinquent concerning your rent. This situation is no longer tolerable, and therefore your lease has been avoided. Vacate the premises by 6 p.m. or failure to do so will result in your arrest. So now he's being evicted, and if he doesn't leave, he'll be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's an extra level of, of just a horrible circumstance, right? right? Right, And it actually prompts him to have sort of a, a brief flashback where it shows him waking up in a hospital. And we learn at that point that he was actually kept in captivity in Vietnam for two years. Right. Yeah, so he's had it tough. I would say, Frankie, he just, he's, someone needs to cut this guy some slack. Yeah. Yeah. You caught me mid-puff. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the apartment scenes in this movie is that I, I, it's not that I dislike them because I think that the, they tell the story and it's important that they're in the movie, but I always, every time I went back to them, I was like, ugh, because it's so horrible. The thing is, not that the street scenes are any more positive, but there's at least the potential for something else to happen. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so I was very happy that, uh, that Frankie decides to toss the letter in the garbage because, I mean, what kind of consequence could there possibly be? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he decides to go for his uh, trademark walk you know i love that um at this point he like he, yeah he's walking and then he walks by a dog and the dog is like chewing on something and it's just so sad because he stops and he stares at the dog like do i want to try to take that away from the dog and then he just keeps and then he just keeps walking yeah yeah and th- that's kind of echoed a little bit later too when he sees someone uh, pulling some uh, some meat out of a trash can. Right. Oh god. I mean things are <laughs> it's like things are already just so horrible. It's uh, incredible to think that they're just about to get a lot worse. So what he uh, he does is uh, you mentioned earlier that he's already borrowed some money, maybe a significant amount. Right. And uh, the loan shark in question and not just a loan shark, he's also just kind of a general criminal element is Paco and Paco's gang uh, are there's just kind of two heavies that sort of follow him around yeah they all kind of confront Frankie because he owes the money right now one of the gang members is fairly nondescript <laughs> the other one has a few defining elements how would you describe the gang member I'm talking about most <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to put a picture of him in my head. He he looks really ridiculous. Yes. Like he's like he's sort of dressed like a low rent punk rocker, you know. Um He's, he's got one of those those uh, Japanese Red Sun headbands right. uh, from like the Karate Kid or something. <laughs> right, right. Uh he looks like a gang member from like Big Trouble in Little China except an American version of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just- he looks like he's really stepped out of a different movie to be honest with you. He looks idiotic. Yeah, he looks idiotic. But Paco uh, is looks fairly sleazy, just like he really should. Right. Uh, and he, the way that that character is, it it actually works really well in the context of the movie, where he's both threatening, 
but also a little bit comforting at the same time where he's, <laughs> he he kind of takes takes Frankie aside. He's like, well, what am, what am I going to do with you? You're making me look foolish in front of these guys. But then he's like, he's super threatening. And then he, he even goes further than that, uh, in fact, when he says uh, that, that if Frankie is unable to pay it off, other things will happen. And anything that you don't pay on, your wife will work hey, You leave my wife out of this. <clears throat> yep. So if if Frankie can't pay, he's going to force his wife to prostitute herself. And then, of course, they take it one step farther. No, I, I'm, we'll comment on this, but let's just hear yeah. it first. Yeah, yeah. That little boy of yours ought to bring a nice price on the open market. How old is he? A year old? Still can't sit up? Yeah, he'd make a great exhibit in a freak show. You know, to pay extra for retard. No shit. Sure, it's a delicacy to fuck retarded kids. Tough dollar, man. <laughs> that's so fucked up. <laughs> that is, that's a very fucked up moment. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't consider that a light moment in the movie, but something about those performances and just the outright horrible nature of what they're saying right. makes it, it just gives it a sense of lightness. And also because they look kind of ridiculous. But still, the concept of what they're saying, like, like that Frankie, who is, we already know has no way of getting money. Right. Uh, and that he, he, they're going to force his wife to be to prostitute themselves. They're going to ki- sell his kid into a freak show, and of course, that other thing they say, which is just <laughs> repugnant. Yes, yeah, repugnant. That's very good. Very good word. <laughs> it's my two dollar word for the day. Uh, I will say that also. I, I Man, really I'm like- glad I bought that calendar. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, that Frankie, his response to all that as when they go away, they want the cash tomorrow. Either he pays or his family does. Right. Uh, he a voiceover says that that he can never get the money because they make it impossible to pay the amount that that he actually owes because they want to destroy him. And then he says, "We'll see, Pricko," <laughs> <laughs> which is okay. I mean, <laughs> um. We uh, cut back to his wife at home, uh, and she is smelling the milk in the fridge. We get an idea very early on that that milk probably isn't uh, drinkable. Right. And then she eats some Cocoa Krispies right out of the box. That probably also aren't particularly edible (laughs) at this point. And the kid is just crying the whole time. Right. Yeah, so that's that, that doesn't seem very positive. No. So Frankie continues to wander around Staten Island, uh, and he runs into well, he, he runs into a tweaker who tries to mug him first. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's, I love this. I love this because like, we get sort of advanced notice that somebody's going to try to rob whoever the next person sure. to walk up those steps are, and of course Frankie's going to be the next person to walk up those steps. Right. He gets up there, you know, hey man, you know, whatever, and then he realizes that it's Frankie's. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> The crazy thing about this is that, okay, we're at this point, it's like, oh, everything's terrible for this guy. Right. Of course he's going to get mugged. It's actually a little worse than that because the mugger, the potential mugger, is a friend of his. Right. Who is going to mug anybody else who comes through. He knows Frankie doesn't have any money. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, and he's even more pathetic than Frankie in a lot of ways. Right, because he is addicted to, I'm assuming, heroin. Yeah. You know, and he's... In the pro, he's going through DTs and throwing up all over the place, and you know, ha- like I think he even says, you know, like I like I want to throw up, but there's nothing in the stomach, you know, there's nothing right. in my stomach. 
yeah, so this guy is Mike, and we're going to see a little bit more of Mike as things go on. We get to follow his story to the bitter end. Right. Uh, and, I mean, he's even, like, he wants to work with Frankie to mug people, right? And Frankie, who, this is his, the first sense that we get that he has some sense of conscience within himself. Yeah. Uh, even though he's not going to stop Mike from doing it, he's certainly not going to take part. And he says to Mike, you're just going to end up in jail. And as Mike says, he'd be better off in jail. You know, the funny thing is most of these guys would be all better off. these characters would yeah, be better off in jail. They'd all be better off in jail. They'd get three meals a day. They'd have a place to live. You know, there wouldn't be that crying baby all the time. Who have not threatened every moment of their life. Yeah. I mean, every other moment because they are still in prison. But, right. you know. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, in the world of combat shock, I can only imagine what the prisons are like. Yeah, right. Uh, back to the apartment once again. We Ugh. we see uh, the mother feed the baby some gruel or something. What is she feeding it? She's feeding. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on that. That that company. That's a bread crumb company. So she mixed breadcrumbs with water. Holy shit! Yeah, to to feed the baby something, you know. And I like those breadcrumbs are so salty. Like I couldn't even imagine. Like how, because those are designed for like coating chicken and like putting on like right, pork chops and shit. You know, so like I couldn't even imagine just mixing water with that and trying to eat it. That's uh, yeah, that, yeah, you, yeah. That's it's like the bare minimum that could be considered food. Right, exactly. And she even takes a bite herself, and she's and she kind of shudders, you know, at, at the taste of it. You know, it's it's looked pretty disgusting. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Uh, so Frankie continues to walk, and he, he every once in a while he'll have sort of a flashback. This one's really interesting because there's some images that flash on the screen. Right. We get to see him in a cage in Vietnam, uh, but we also get a sense of what his relationship with his father is like. Right. I thought, and I thought this worked really well because you you've got this whole like torment of him in the cage, you know, uh, being tortured in that regard, and then you're also getting uh, the the dialogue of him essentially being you know not so much but being like verbally tortured by his father about like his life choices right his yeah. father father doesn't approve of his choice of friends in right. fact he uses a certain n-word which i'm not going to repeat here <laughs> uh and his yeah, father, my, my notes say and just something about not hanging around with black people yes yeah. and his father also doesn't want him to get married because he thinks it's a really bad idea that she's just after him for his money right he doesn't have any right. but uh, well but no no it's, she, he says uh that he, she, he she's after him for the father's money for the father's money right. that's exactly right yeah uh and he he ends with a, a pretty choice quote it's gonna be on my tombstone I can no longer tell where one torture ends and the next begins. So you got that, and then you kind of hear you heard a little bit of the uh, the dialogue between the father and him in the back, where he's screaming how he'll starve to death from yeah, not, not I, having, and he's not entirely wrong. I mean, the, he, it answers one of the questions you would have, which is, what you know, d- does he have any family at all he can reach out to? Because, like, this, is, this isn't just poverty line stuff. This is, he's about to get thrown out on the street and probably, you know, his entire family torn apart. Right. So, um, as Frankie kind of walks by some tracks, the, the focus of the movie switches to Mike, who is actually, uh, wants to buy some drugs because he's, he's actually has mugged a woman. Yeah. We, 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 we kind of forgot to mention that the last, the, 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 the last thing we see Mike do is run off to go mug this woman. 
So he, he approaches Paco and his gang members uh, underneath these kind of um, uh, this overpass, and he gives them all the money and jewels that he's he's mugged, right? Uh, and to get some drugs because you know that's he's a junkie and he wants some drugs, right? Exactly. But of course, it, um, of course, it comes out. It turns out that the jewelry that he stole off her is costume jewelry, and it's fucking worthless. He even tries to give them a gun that he has, right? But it's a police a standard police issue, and uh, they they threaten him and say that you know what are you trying to get us busted and that sort of thing. Exactly. And but I mean, Mike is such a pathetic character. I mean, Frankie, he's trying to retain some measure of dignity, even if he's just sort of like a zombie walking the streets. But Mike has like nothing in his life except for the drugs, right? Right. right. Which, which is again fairly realistic. Uh, so it it makes it even more depressing. Yeah, this whole movie. It's, so he gets like, they give him like ten bucks worth of heroin. Right, I think they give him two bags essentially. Yeah, right, and uh, and he tries to get some hardware quotation marks from them to shoot up with. Do you have any hardware I could use? See what I mean? You want us to inject it for you too? How about if I inject it in your fucking face? Mike, you don't understand. You're a fucking imbecilic pain in my fucking ass. Now get the fuck out of my sight quality yeah indeed now th- this whole f- this whole mike subplot uh, it's somehow it just it's so <laughs> it's it's really terrible to even think about everything that's going to happen because this whole hardware situation right where he can't get a needle to inject with uh yeah it's just gonna turn out really badly let me just uh, give you a little uh, look into the future in fact everything that we've talked about so far it's all just gonna go really badly yeah, everything in this movie pretty much just goes pretty bad, you know, pretty pretty terribly. It goes a bit pear shaped. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, Frankie does what I thought was a pretty smart thing to do, which is that he went to uh, an unemployment office to see uh, if there was any potential for him to work in any right. capacity. Right, exactly. But there, you know, he tries to just walk in, but of course, there's uh, like a guard there saying, "No, no, no." There's a line on the side of the building, and uh, we get this. Uh, Nice little gotta, comment. Gotta hear this. I don't know what that's really supposed to be. I added in the uh, the goof, the for some reason really goofy music that was there too. Uh, that you know, and and of course, if you couldn't hear it because his line was incredibly soft uh he said get to the end of the line you smelly bum i've been waiting here all day you smelly bum you smelly bum so there's this line right around the corner of the unemployment office uh of like tons and tons of people right and frankie goes to the end of it this leads to one of the stranger things that happens in the movie i'm not really sure what it's supposed to represent i don't either it was very odd so they're all – he's at the end of this line. There's a bunch of people there. And a woman, an attractive woman on a motorcycle, pulls up next to them. Yeah. Uh, to, to the line. And, and everyone, they, everyone starts hooting and hollering as men are wont to do. Yeah. As, especially, and especially in this movie, they're going to be doing that. Sure. And she sort of motions to Frankie to like get on the back of the motorcycle. Right. But, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And then she just leaves. Now, I mean, you can interpret this in all sorts of different ways. I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be literal. It doesn't seem like it would make much sense unless it was something else cut out of the movie. <laughs> but, but like the idea of trying to sort of escape from his life and escape from his station, uh, it, may, it might be a reference to that. Uh, it might be a reference. I mean, she might literally. Yeah, but then again, the very fact that all these other people kind of react to her 
give us a suggestion that there is some sort of reality to it. I'm just really not sure. Right. So that's uh, that's short lived. I mean, that's like a a small lilt of potential for <laughs> something good to happen to him, even if it's just going for a motorcycle ride. Right, right. And all, uh, yeah, exa- exactly. All he had to do was hop on the back. He could have gone for a motorcycle ride. That a little felt a little uh, wind through the holes in his shirt. That would have been the best part of his day by a huge amount. By a huge amount. Yep. So Mike. Who's still looking for some hardware? Poor he bastard. goes. He goes to visit Jerry. Oh, now, is that what the character's name was? I never. I didn't catch it. Okay. Well, it's we know it's Jerry because uh, Jerry is played by comedian Eddie Pepitone, who is an amazing comedian. Eddie Pepitone's uh, great. Yeah, he's great, and he is. He's a very angry guy. <laughs> That's his comedy is all about him being uh, very kind of upset at things. Right. Uh, but he's a hilarious comedian, but it's amazing to see him looking so young here, right. but, but still being recognizably him because he's the kind of guy who's, he's been a comedian for, for decades, obviously, mm. but I only know him as kind of an older guard of, of up comedy. Well, I remember him. I mean, like I remember from, I mean, at least, at least 10 years ago. You know, when I was on the road a lot and, and would listen to, he would be on Howard a lot, sure. you know, but that that's the earliest I remember him. But even then, yeah, he'd, he'd still been around for fucking ever at that point. There's a documentary about Eddie Pepitone called The Bitter Buddha, which came out, I think, last year. Nice. That's really, really good. Uh, and, and it shows how much other comedians respect him. But he's a really funny guy. However, the character of Jerry is not very funny at all. No, not at all. He, he is even more of a pathetic junkie than Mike is. Right, which is he is screaming out for a fix. Right. And uh but Mike is Mike the way that Mike deals with Jerry is very much he needs the hardware. He doesn't want to give away any of his drugs. He doesn't want to even kind of confirm that he has any drugs. In fact, he says that he's getting it for somebody else. Uh there's a part during this where they both quiet down because someone comes in to piss uh, yeah. and leave. And that's just such a weird, quiet, sad moment. <laughs> yeah, because, well, I mean, it understands, it, it makes sense why they would quiet down for that because, like, you know, there, somebody shows up, you don't know if it's a cop, you don't know if it's somebody sure. who's trying to steal shit from them. But it is really weird how just this dude walks in, just pisses in the corner, and then walks right out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he, uh, but are, he, but he does manage to get some uh, gear off of uh, off of uh, Eddie Pepitone. Jerry, what does he get? Jerry gear, gear. What gear? The heroin gear. Oh, not really. No. No. Well, anyway, well, let's, let's we'll talk about that in just a minute. Oh. But uh, but we did get a, a little bit of audio of Eddie Pepitone for those who who do know who that is. There you go. You better this come after back, Mike. You better come back. And even just from that, you can, you know, you can hear it. Oh, so, okay. So he didn't, okay. Cause he finds like needles. He, he in a minute, he'll, he finds like a pile of you. Oh, needles. okay. I thought he got those from Jerry. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't, I don't think so anyway, because here's the thing, folks, Mike doesn't get his hardware and this is just, oh God. It just gets <sighs> worse and worse. So we cut back to Frankie for a second. His line is moving very slowly. We go back to Mike who's looking for hardware. He's crawling basically crawling across a wasteland looking in the garbage for something to inject himself right it's yeah so because he can't find a needle he finds a piece of wire 
and he pulls back his, his shirt and we get to see the veins in his arm and they are Dis- horrific disgusting I, I use that word horrific a lot in this but man i'll tell you this is horrific it's i mean and the funny thing is you've you've used the word a lot but every single time it's 100 percent apt yeah it's yeah. apt in this case so he <laughs> pokes a hole in one of his veins with his wire and then just sort of sprinkles the 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 powdered heroin right onto it right now I don't know much about drugs, Mo. I'm I'm Canadian, um, but I have to think that this is not a good way to do drugs. You would think. I would think. Oh. <laughs> Are you playing something? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so uh, while this is happening, and while Mike is having a hard time, um, Frankie gets to go see an unemployment officer person. Right. And it's remember that scene uh, a couple of episodes ago uh, in Tales of the Dead. I think that's what it was called, right? Where uh, a young filmmaker goes to see an unemployment officer, and it was your favorite part of the entire movie, right? I, yeah, I remember the scene. Well, this is sort of like that, except it's worse, but also <laughs> better. <laughs> well, th- this unemployment office—I mean, like th- this—is probably again the the best, like. Like the least depressing scene at the very least. And that's saying something because this guy's telling him that he has no future. Right. You know, but at the same time, he just has these, he has this weird moment where he kind of goes, oh, yes. yeah, where the counselor just goes, you know, life is heart wrecking. Like he kind of almost goes robotic. He goes, life is heart wrecking, uh, a heart, I think he says heart wrenching or heart, whatever. Uh, and because it's hot, I'm compelled to remove my jacket. Because it is hot, I feel compelled to remove my jacket. Such a strange yeah. Moment. By the way, this guy has a Dawn of the Dead poster on his wall. <laughs> I don't know why. And he's like, he's taking pills as Frankie goes into him. The suggestion is that even the, these kind of, this level above Frankie, even these people are not exactly living the most um, uh, compelling or uh, fulfilling life. Right. Which is kind of, it, it's got a really funny kind of capper to this scene where someone comes into the office random beardo walks in and hey ray did you see my vegematic what (laughs) you see my vegematic hey ray you see my vegematic he this is this character this uh this unemployment guy it's he's somewhat sympathetic to frankie uh, but not so sympathetic that he's going to really help him in any way. Well, but he, there's really no help he can give. I was going to say he can't give him any help. I mean, there's no jobs out there that for unskilled laborers. And he says that waiting list for manual labor is two weeks long. Right. He, he suggests that Frankie goes back to school, but like Frankie says, like he's got to take care of a kid. Right. Right. How is he going to do that? Exactly. So he's li- he's literally left with no option. Poor bastard. So. Oh, by get- the way, Ray has not seen the other man's vegematic. <laughs> no, Ray has not seen the vegematic. <laughs> So I suspect Ray is lying and that he's he's hoarding Vegematics under his desk. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Uh, we get some more flashbacks of Frankie uh, waking up in the hospital. And we get some voiceover. And it's kind of like uh, if you've seen that movie, Johnny Get Your Gun, uh, or more popularly, I guess. Uh, from the one video from Metallica. The one video from Metallica, that's right. Uh, it's sort of like that. <laughs> that's a very depressing movie, too, by the way. Yeah, it is really depressing. Uh, the only thing about that movie is uh, what's oh, I forget the the actor who stars in it, but it's the same guy who starred in That's My Bush, uh, <laughs> playing George W. Bush in that because right. he has a very natural uh, resemblance to him, right. and he he had a resemblance even back in the early seventies when that movie came out, and it's very interesting to watch that and think of 
all of those things happening to George W. Bush. Right. What's like uh, Boz, like Tim Boslerman. Yeah. Yes, Boslerman. Yeah, that's it. Whatever. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Well, now is I feel like uh, people are waiting for us to uh, to give uh, the actor's name, and in fact, his name is, of course, Timothy Bottoms. Okay, I was. Close. You were really close, though. I was close with Boz Skaggs or whatever the fuck you were gonna say. Well, I for some reason I thought his I knew his name was Tim. I knew it was Timothy, but I, I thought for some reason I thought his last name was Bosley. Yeah, Tim Bosley. I'm cl- I was fucking close, man. From Happy Days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Brian uh, Bosworth. That's right. The boss. The boss himself in Johnny Get Your Gun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so he's having these flashbacks. Uh, We also get a flashback to to really, I'm not even going to say horrific this time, but just an awful moment where he's being interrogated by another American soldier while being uh, captured by the Vietnamese. Basically, they're forcing an American soldier to ask him questions about what happened to him. See, I'm not sure that was that was what was actually happening there. I have a feeling that that was the doctor asking him those questions in the hospital, and, and him seeing that, and him own- and him fantasizing that's what's happening. Because you notice that was the only time he had a flashback where it was just all black in the background. That's true. Yeah, you know? it's done in a very kind of theatrical way. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you're right. Because it cuts back to the doctor asking him the same sort of questions, right? Uh, and then the guard like. Uh, it cuts back to Vietnam again, and they cut his finger. Right. Uh, and and but as they're cutting his finger, the other soldier, the American one, tries to stop them from doing it, and they smash a bottle over the, his head. Right. Very strange, but I mean, it's very effective showing just how kind of mentally degrading things are happening. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 showing uh, what's happening. You know, I mean, if and and if that is a situation in. Uh, Frankie's head, you know, it is also showing what's ha- like the the situation in his mind degrading as well. It's situation normal, all <laughs> fudged up. Yeah, right. Right. So Jerry, remember Jerry, Eddie Pepitone? I do. He wanders by Mike, who, by the way, it looks like he's dead at this point. And yeah. he pretty much, I mean, he probably is. We're not 100% certain. And what does he do with his friend Mike? He, uh, Finds the rest of his heroin and runs off with it. Yep. So that's not very positive. That's what I would have done. Uh, we get back to Frankie's waifu, Ugh. who is washing clothes in the sink. Uh, the baby's crying, of course, and then the water cuts out because why not? Because there's one more thing that that needs to be shown. That's right. You know, I mean, this like there's no rainbow in this in this thunderstorm at all. So uh, the impression that we get up to this point is that Frankie has a very estranged relationship with his father because of that flashback we, we heard from Right, him. exactly. We get the, uh, that, the voiceover from before. Right. Uh, but we also understand that, like, that's, in his mind, he considers that the bottom of the barrel, the last resort would be to reach out to his father. Right. But in this case, you know what? I think he's, uh, he's circling the bowl. I think, right? he's, I think he's about there. He's about there. Things are... I mean, things could always get worse, right. except not in this case, where it doesn't really look like that's possible. Right. So he uh, he goes into a phone booth, and we see that he has, I guess, a dime. I guess that's how much a phone call would cost back then. Uh, and uh, he uh, he calls his father, and his father lives in a big mansion, it looks like, at first. Yeah, I like how they set it up to, you know, like, to show that the father, like, has all this money and blah, blah, blah. Like, he's got, like, a helper, you know, who answers the phone for him. Um, 
this is going to be Frankie's way out of the gutter. Right, He'll exactly. Just ask his father for a little help. That'll it'll really settle things up. Dad, do will help him, and then everything That's will right. get will get better. <laughs> well, here's the thing about his dad. Uh, his dad, by the way, thinks he died in Vietnam. Right. Which uh, that wasn't really established very well up to this point. So well, that conversation, that flashback conversation, must have taken place before Vietnam. Prior, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so his father thinks he's dead. He hasn't talked to him in, in years and years. Uh, and his father doesn't even know that he's married or has a kid, obviously, because he thought he died. Right. But what we discover is that his father doesn't have any money at all. He lost everything. Yep. So if shit couldn't get worse, it just did. Uh, his father lost, he says he lost the business, his savings, and now my health. And then his father says, probably the most depressing line in the entire movie or series of lines. <laughs> right. I'm waiting to die. Everything around me is dead. Your mother. You. Soon me. I wonder if cancer chemo has kicked his ass. Oh, man. Man. This is, yeah, things are not looking up for Frankie at this point. No. That conversation ends with his father basically unwilling to accept that his son is still alive because of how painful it is to even consider that idea. Right. Uh, and he goes, I don't want to go back. And his, and then Frankie goes, I go back every day, Dad. Which is also terrible. <laughs> oh, God. Things, things are getting rough. 50th episode. <laughs> no budget nightmares. I've got a gun pressed to my temple right now. <laughs> I'm just, just now, wait, waiting to pull the trigger. We are an hour into the movie. We're hitting the home stretch now. I remember when I was watching this, all I was thinking at this point was, I bet Rue's going to make a really nice song about this. <laughs> 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 I sure hope he does. Right. Because I can't I wouldn't be able to stand something that was as depressing as the actual movie. No, no, it needs to be like a jaunty tune with lots of ukulele. So for some reason we see a woman walking through the same underpass where Mike was before. I don't know why she's there. Um but she finds Mike's corpse and pokes him with a stick literally. In which you can see the picture of on uh on the the No Budget Nightmares group. That's right. Yep. And then she goes through his pockets and steals his gun. Yep. She so, takes she takes something else, but I didn't see what it was. I think maybe it was the bullets for the guns. Oh, may, oh yeah, that makes sense. Later. Yeah. Um, so that happens there, and that will become important. So please pay attention to it. Oh, yeah. And then Frankie, who's just wandered in the streets, he runs into two kids yelling at each other, calling each other bitches. Yeah, they really are just like, I mean, just... Uh, angry with each other it's great i mean it's yeah it's kind of really realistic in the way that kids can be horrible and screaming the same thing over and over at each other <laughs> right but i all i also kind of love that like what a dark turn the you know it takes here with these kids too because yeah. well, i mean at this point you kind of know it's just gonna go somewhere yeah you just expect you expect dark turns at the, for everything but like you know like i remember the first time i watched this movie uh back in the 90s i i remember thinking to myself like every time there was an opportunity for something nice to happen i kept thinking to myself man it'd be really nice if something like nice happened right now <laughs> and then it would just take that dark turn again and i remember keeping that optimism the entire time i was watching the the movie and just being let down every single time well this one might be the most unpleasant out of the entire it, bunch it really kind the, of is the slightly older girl and what is she, is she like maybe 11 or 12 if that if that uh 
she, the, the, the younger one, I guess her younger sister, she calls her a big fat liar and she runs off. Right. And then the kid offers Frankie a date. Hey, man, you want a date? Ew. Uh, Frankie, who again, this is this is his most human moment in the entire movie, is this scene where he sits with her and he does this kind of goofy thing where he makes like glasses out of his fingers, right, right, uh, and and you know she's amused by it because like, she's is, a kid, because she's a kid, yeah. Remember, so not a prostitute, yeah. you hope, right? <laughs> but um, so he we get this kind of glimpse of like, hey, you know what, this Frankie. He really is a decent guy. He's actually significantly more moral than than even like a Travis Bickle type. Who I mean, the the, the motivations behind it are not quite as, uh, as as gray. Right. He he just he totally thinks that she should not be doing this. That he should just kind of entertain her. <sighs> and, then, <laughs> and then her pimp shows up. And then her pimp shows up. Jesus Christ! And he just starts smacking everyone around. I love that part when he shows up. He just starts smacking everybody around. Yeah, and he beats up Frankie first, and then he right. just, yeah, yeah. He says uh, he does have a great line. He goes, he goes. When I want a song and dance, I'll get Gene Kelly. And one of the whores is like, "Who's Gene Kelly?" Yeah, that's hilarious. I love it. One while this fight is going on, one of my favorite moments in the movie, and this is going to sound so terrible. Some guy is just walking down the street, and one of the women goes, "Hey, can I suck your cock?" And he goes, "Absolutely not." <laughs> 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 he, that guy wants no part of this pimp beating the shit out of all these people and this woman trying to proposition him at the same time that's brilliant uh this uh this bit ends with uh frankie looking down on someone which i mean and rightfully so and uh and he asks the pimp a question how do you live with yourself just tell me that hey get the fuck out of here man i catch you around again i'll pop your head off I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, it's like, you know, like, he doesn't even get even an answer. It's it's just immediately, hey, fuck you. <laughs> fuck out of here, man. Yeah, you know, I love it. Back to Frankie's apartment. Oh, God. Kid's still crying. The wife is ironing clothes for some reason. Desperately uh, trying to watch soap operas on a scrambled TV set. Yeah, and the soap opera is just a person saying John and oh, a person John. saying Marcia. Oh, Marcia. Oh, John. Over and over up to the point where it's almost like they're... It's like pornographic. It's almost pornographic how right. they're saying it back and forth. But all we see is is uh, static. S- static, yeah. Which also comes into play later in the film. Now, when we cut back... We see what I mentioned earlier where Frankie sees a guy pull something out of a garbage can. Right. Does the guy pull out a human arm? Oh, you know what? I didn't look close enough. It looks like that's what he does. I thought it was like just kind of showing how his flashbacks are all kind of running together. Right. At the very least, this guy takes some sort of meat, maybe human, out of this garbage can. And Frankie goes over and I guess is is thinking about, hey, I'll get some of this meat maybe. (laughs) And it's covered in maggots. I, I I found this this particular moment nauseating. I just I'm not a big fan of maggots. It's worse as well because he immediately has a flashback of being in Nam. Right. And this, I mean, this is one of the most terrifying moments of the movie where he's talking about how the maggots are in his wounds. Right. Right. While he's, that they're eating him while he's alive, which right. is just a. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. I don't want to think about this stuff that happened. <laughs> but. I don't want to think about his plight. Yeah, that stuff your country did. I mean, I don't want to think about that. Um, I like it. Your country. Thank you. <laughs> hey, that's not my country. No, not my president. Right or wrong. Um, but uh, 
Frankie makes the best out of his horrific nom flashback and pulls a paper out of the uh, garbage. Which looks like it's like a weekly world news sort of thing. You can talk to the dead. Uh, So he considers... I mean, he, he he considers what I consider to be one of the only reasonable things he could do at this point, which he needs that money, so he's going to mug somebody. And this is the first, like, immoral decision that he's made, you know, like, the the entire film. I mean, he's been on, I mean, I don't want to use, like, the, the term high horse, but I mean, but he's been on, you know, like, he's had the moral high ground the entire film. Yeah, he's basically checking off things that he would no, never do up to this point, right. including like calling his father. He's checking them off, and he's getting more and more desperate and doing something that he generally would never do. And I mean, he even says, you know, you'd be just like Mike said, you'd be better off in jail. He would definitely be better off. In jail. I mean, this is essentially like this moment right here. This is essentially like the moment where he. I mean, it is his last resort. I mean, this yeah. is his last resort. This is the last thing he could possibly do. Suffocation. Oh, no stop. Oh, I was so hoping you wouldn't go there. <laughs> so, uh, God damn it. So Frankie ends up mugging the woman who stole Mike's gun. Right. That's a bit of a coincidence. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of people in the neighborhood, so maybe not. Right. Uh, he steals her purse, and he runs off with it, and she's like, oh, my purse. And then Paco and his gang. Yeah, I love this whole Murphy's Law thing where, you know, like he manages to get the purse without her shooting him. Right. Uh, you know, and which I which is when you first watch the film, that's exactly what you think is going to happen. Oh, shit, she's going to shoot him. You know, no, it's even worse. He runs by and right as he runs by this stairwell, down come Paco and his gang. She's screaming, help me, help me. And they fucking take off after him. And they run after him, and this is kind of a lengthy sequence where they, they chase after him. I have a, My note is, like, this is like the anti-warriors, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> this, is, this is as... as Gotta bop my way back to Coney Island. That's right. As, as kind of comic book and cartoonish as that is, this is grim and gritty to the extreme. Right. There is a great moment while they're chasing after him. They run by these train tracks. And there's a guy who's like walking in the opposite direction. Right. That headband gang member just stops and punches him for no reason. <laughs> I thought my favorite moment was when they uh, was when there's like um, a walkway, like an elevated walkway, and they have to jump off of it. Yes. And like everybody like slows down to a slow walk, and then just kind of like boop, like hops off of it, and then starts running again. <laughs> you want to add those bionic man noises? Yeah. <laughs> they jump over. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so they do, of course, eventually catch up to Frankie. And I don't understand like why they're so upset at him. They just want the stuff he stole. They don't right. Give yeah, it yeah, exactly. Yeah, because at first I thought it didn't make sense. Like, why are they chasing? Like, they're not going to, like, are they going to give back the purse? And then, of course, as soon as they get the purse, I'm like, oh, wait, no, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> they just want to, <laughs> they, it's interesting because they voice Paco voices the one thing which at this point you think that they would want him to do, which is, you know, you you don't have any money or any way to get it, so of course you have to resort to crime to right. get money. Right. But but they even say to him, Frankie, you can't resort to crime in this situation. It's like what else can he possibly do? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I love, but I love, I, I even love the fact that he go when and he's looking through the money that he stole, and he goes, and he goes, you realize this is stolen funds. I can't, yeah. I can't apply this towards your, you know, towards your bill. Yeah. And by the way, they've already beaten the shit out of him. Right. And and uh, and they, smashed a bottle over his head. That bottle, when it goes into his head, man, that looks rough. That looks like it hurts. It looks, it looks bad. It's a good bottle work in this movie. <laughs> they have but, bottle bottle service. 
but uh, they didn't uh, take one thing into account because uh, when Paco was looking through the purse, he the, finds some bullets in it. Right, but the gun had fallen out. The gun had fallen out, Ooh. and Frankie got the gun. Frankie's got and, a gun. And wow! <laughs> Look, if you can fucking do last resort, <laughs> uh, and if there's one thing Americans know how to use, it's a gun. Right. And so, and this 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 line right here actually sums up why Americans love guns so much. Yes. I felt the tremendous power surging through my veins. Where's the gun? I've now become God. <laughs> that like evil laugh he does at the end too. Yeah, is, right. Well, I mean, the idea is that he's lost it, right? Right, yeah. Uh, so he shoots Paco. Uh, and, well, he shoots one of the gang members dead, and then he shoots Paco in a very satisfying way. Yeah. Uh, and then one of the gang members is actually still alive, but all he does, it looks like he's going like, to like, like load his gun and shoot him, but he just kind of walks away. Right, exactly. I mean, he's left him to die. It's not like, you know, the likelihood yes. of him surviving is pretty small. But yeah, he, he, he kills off the the uh, nondescript henchman and then shoots the other one in the back a couple times. And yeah. either way, it's all very satisfying. Even if he lives, is it really worth living? <laughs> I know his, his two best friends are dead now. So that's right. <laughs> so this is where we get a little bit of elaboration on what exactly happened in Vietnam. Right. So uh, we get kind of two interpretations of it. The first one is that uh, Frankie was sent to a village, uh, sent ahead, and when he arrived there, the entire village had killed themselves rather than being uh, uh, massacred and, and raped by his platoon. Right. And he, when he saw what they had done to themselves, uh, or, or sorry, when, when his platoon did, did arrive, they were all so disappointed by the fact that they, that they had killed themselves that they just kind of unloaded all their ammo into these bodies. Right. And Frankie freaked out and ran. That's the first thought. That's the first thought, exactly. Right. So uh, then he arrives home. <laughs> oh, man. And <laughs> his wife has, has discovered, I guess she looked in the garbage and discovered that they're getting thrown out into the streets. Right. She is not very happy with him. But I like how she sees him and she goes, well, where have you been? And he goes, in the jungle. Yeah. I mean, he's bleeding. Yeah. He's, li- yeah, he's literally just like blood dripping down his head. Yeah. He's all swollen up. Uh, she screams at the baby, which you kind of would have to at this point. Right. And she accuses Frankie of not doing anything at all to help, which, I mean, after seeing what he's been through, <clears throat> it, it kind of does make it kind of stick in your throat a little bit. Right. And then he's looking at the television, the static, and, and as you mentioned before. Yeah, yes. it's it, the static, the television starts talking to him. Yeah. Telling telling him what we presume really happened. Well, what it says is that when uh, when they all got there, he was the one who went crazy and he killed the entire village and his squad. Right. Right. Yeah. He massacred everybody and ran off and deserted, I guess. But we don't really know for sure which one is true. Right. Though this one seems to be the most damaging to him. So it's probably in this movie the one that is true. Look, when a television tells me something, I have to believe it. It's television on, has never lied to me. It's on so. TV. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that static reminds me uh, that it's not TV. It's HBO. Huh. Yeah. So, so Frankie, by the way, still has his gun. Let's hear some of that uh, Frankie's Got a Gun song that you were singing earlier. No. Uh, so 
So he he loads up his gun uh, and watches the faucet drip for some reason. And he motions to shoot himself in the head. And we're like, whew, thank goodness. But then he pauses. Yeah. uh, Because he has a quick uh, flashback uh, with the Vietnamese girl that we saw at the beginning. Right. And he he sees her as his wife. Right. Right. Which uh, prompts him to go into the bedroom, tell his wife that he loves her, and then shoots her. Uh, and she doesn't die right away, by the way, which is even worse. Right. Yeah, she's like writhing on the floor and he shoots her a couple more times. Yeah, he even screams at her to die. And then <sighs> what happens? Then he turns the gun towards the crib. Yes. And shoots the silly putty mask. He shoots the baby. Right. I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Right. But no, he doesn't. He kills his baby. <laughs> And it's and I find that the I found that the that the the baby was even more disturbing, completely covered in blood. Yeah, it is. You and know. then he picks up the corpse, and he's holding the baby, and it's just blood pouring everywhere, like all over his shoes. And uh, and then he puts it in the oven. He puts the baby in the oven. Oh man! And then he turns the heat on. Yeah, and then he turns it on. The only thing we got going for us is the likelihood of that of there being any like electrical or gas to run that stove. That's right. That's right. Probably not likely, but it's still pretty fucked up. So he opens the fridge. Of course, because after a, a, a rousing day of of uh, family killing. Uh, you know, the one thing that I always find is I want to play a little game that I call Alien Nation and pour myself a big glass of spoiled milk. If anybody remembers that uh, movie. Of course we do. Yeah. They peed out of their armpits, right? Right. And they drank so, spoiled milk. That's right. They did. And in this case, yes, the milk is spoiled. He pours it into a glass. It's like all lumpy and shit. Yeah. He drinks it. And then we hear the police are at the door. Right. First time the police have made themselves really known at all in the entire movie. Right. And what does he do then? Uh, then he does t- turn the gun on himself and blood out. Yeah, he re- really, uh, you know, you don't want to necessarily rank the suicide scenes in movies in terms of, of how horrible and, and bloody they are. But this is a pretty good headshot. Yeah. It goes all over the wall and looks rough. Right. He did a number on himself. Although I personally like to uh, to, to rate suicide film suicides in films as well as uh, rape scenes. So. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear your top ten of both. Well, you know, irreversible. I, I give it. I give this one a seven on the Bud Dwyer scale. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> see, I thought. See, I thought mentioning rape would be it would be me in bad taste, but then you took it a step further. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Uh, and then we get one final line. Before the credits roll. I go back there every night without fail. And then the whole thing fades out. And it fades out. And we see Buddy G's credit. Right. Buddy Giovanazzo. You know, and as as depressing as that movie is, you know, you still got to kind of love it. You know what? It's it's. I mean, it's an experience. Right. It really is. You really feel like you've been through the ringer when you watch Combat Shock. But it also is affecting in a way that it's affecting because it's effective, because it's well made. Right. Be- because even though the performances are not great, they're they're not so bad that you can distance yourself from them. Right. For the most part, certainly in the leads, uh, and the the fact that some of the things that he's dealing with are slightly surreal 
like the the baby it doesn't separate the movie from the fact that a lot of it is just really real <laughs> like it's so real that it's that it it's kind of hurts to watch yeah this is one of the most like grittiest real movies like it, there's nothing about this film that couldn't have actually happened i will say that if you're going through a depressing time in your own life this isn't necessarily the movie that you want to watch though it probably will make your situation seem a little less bleak. I liked the comment uh, in the Facebook group. I believe it was Scott who had said, "Who had said, you know, I suffer from my own depression, so I tend to try to avoid this one." You know, and and uh, I mean, he went on about, with some other things, but but uh, I, like I kind of wanted to like that comment because I agreed with him, but at the same time, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like it and be like, "Well, I like your depression," right? You know, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, like like. I'll say it here, Scott. I agree. This movie is definitely not the right fucking movie to watch while you're depressed. No, it's not. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a good thing that we are such jovial hosts yeah. that we could get to the end of it and make some t- terrible off-putting jokes. Yeah, I got uh, I got I got through my, I got off of my depression two weeks ago, so I'm I was safe for this one. Great. <laughs> I will say that that despite the fact that this is just an exercise in misery. It's not that it's not an entertaining movie, and I say that just because I wa- I I did I watched it all in one sitting. Right. It was very much a case of oh I really I'm curious because I haven't seen it in so long. What happens next? I really want to see what happens with the characters. Right. Right. I knew it wasn't going to go somewhere pleasant, but I still you know I had sympathy. But for ble- but bleak it, ble- but bleak is okay. You know, like it's I mean it wasn't boring. It wasn't uh de- you know it wasn't depressing in the way of you know, uh, because it was poorly made. It wasn't that kind of depressing. I mean, it was depressing, but uh, but it was depressing because of the content, which was good. Yeah. I mean, when you consider, and I, I you know, I, I've certainly had my brushes with poverty in the past, and, and I the idea. Yeah, I was yeah. homeless for a while, yeah. And, and when you think about the kind of helplessness of those situations, but even like at least, you know, you, you, you kind of, bargain with yourself where it's like well you know i'm in this situation but if i had to i could do this and if i had to i could do this and in this situation in combat shock he he goes through all of those that checklist of things that if you had to you would do it and they just get worse and worse from there right uh have you any have you uh seen anything else from buddy giovanazzo uh, if I, I, you would have to name some stuff. I, I really don't know any off the top of my he head. He wrote a novel, I think, called Life is Hot in Cracktown, which he then turned into a movie in, in like 2009, which mm. I haven't seen. And, uh, he, he contributed to a, um, to a compilation film called The Theater Bazaar, uh, just a few years ago as well. Then no, I, I haven't seen either of those. Uh, I, I, I'll, I haven't. I'm really curious about it because there's a real, I mean, there's obviously... It's one. This is a movie where you feel like it was made by a young person because only a young person could be so brutally negative about things. But uh, but maybe I'm wrong. But right. it just really feels like like uh, it, almost going a little overboard. But the way that Buddy is able to keep things one foot in reality at all times is why this movie is so effective. Right. Right. We just got a shout out on uh, on on Twitter. I, I wanted to mention uh, real quick. Um, there was a conversation between uh, a listener, a regular listener, and uh, one of his uh, one of his followers on Twitter, talking about uh, telling him to check out this movie. And it must have been a uh, God, I can't remember his fucking name. 
Um, Neil Breen. Yeah, Neil Breen. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's, it's we're, we're bringing bringing movies out to the masses. You know, we have like disciples now. Go and well, thing, spread our words. The thing about Neil Breen is that now, I mean, he. he He's getting lots and lots of attention. There's tons and tons of articles about his films, right. especially um, his most recent film, Faithful Findings. Right. But the movie that's the hardest to find is the one that we covered. I am here. Dot dot dot. Now, huh. uh, <laughs> because uh, in some way, I, I believe he's actually disowned it a little bit. Um, and why? And because it's too awesome for him. I know, right? <laughs> So not to change the topic too much, but yeah, everyone go back and listen to our I, I am here dot 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 now episode, uh, and you can hear our thoughts about Neil Breen's Opus. Right, right. That movie is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> makes me smile to think about. That's funny. <laughs> Certainly in the uh, in the face of of recent uh, depressing movies that we may or may not have watched. Right. Mo. Yes. I think that's all we have to say about Combat Shock. Yeah. Happy fiftieth to us. Happy, happy fiftieth. <laughs> uh, we're like we're like an old couple. Happy fiftieth. Oh, hon, it's our <laughs> silver anniversary. Um, if uh, if someone was looking to check out the um, the older episode, I am here. Dot dot dot. Now, what would be the best way for them to do so? Well, if they wanted to check out all the old episodes, because they are all in the same place, they can go to nobudgetpodcast.com. That's right, and from there they can uh, subscribe on the old iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever they want. Indeed. And if they did that, they could go back and listen to all of our old... They can listen to 49 other episodes. Yeah, but I would suggest not listening to about 38 of them. Why is that? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Start at number one oh, and please. notice our improvement, Yeah, eventual improvement, uh, as it went along. The, the, the shitty thing about this podcast... <laughs> Is that we still reference things from the early days of the podcast when it wasn't as good? Yeah, that so I don't you, want anybody to listen to. But so you got to go back and start at the beginning, or you won't get all of our in jokes. Yeah, we're like Arrested Development. There's a lot of uh, a lot callbacks. of in, a lot of callbacks. A lot of callbacks. Speaking of callbacks, mm. um, there we go. Wait, what was? Oh, you played something. Uh, yeah, yeah. You'll you'll find out later. <laughs> oh, I'll just edit it all out. I don't know. <laughs> Um, Mo, we did discuss briefly what we're going to be covering on episode 51 of the No Budget Nightmares podcast. It's true. Would you like to share that with the group? Uh, yes. No? Yeah. It's okay if it's no. I don't... <laughs> no, I will. I'm going to push you to do it. I will. We decided that we are going to cover... Uh, uh, yeah, I had to look it up. Odd Noggins. Odd Noggins from 2000? Yep. Now, uh, Odd Noggins from 2000 is directed by Joe Sherlock. And Joe Sherlock, I actually just interviewed him uh, just a, like a week and a half, two weeks ago um, for his latest movie, Drifter, which is actually a pretty good movie uh, that, that is like just about to come out or, or has just come out. So we're going to be moving back 14 years in the past to discuss Odd Noggins, which I have to be honest with you, Mo, I know very little about. All I know is that it's no budget. It's shot on VHS, uh, yeah, shot on video, and Joe Bob Briggs approves. I know that it, it does feature uh, no budget Staltworth. That's my pronunciation of that word. Uh, Jeff Dylan Graham is in it, and we I don't think we've ever covered a movie with Jeff Dylan Graham, so this will be the first. Yay. 
Yay! And we're discussing Mo and myself off camera, off mic, it's off mic. <laughs> uh, that some uh, future no budget nightmares uh, ideas and and future films to cover. And there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Right. And if anybody has any like you know suggestions they want to throw out, they're more than welcome to. Where well, would be a good place for them to do those suggestions? Well, I mean, just they can just talk into a microphone, into a like a cup, and then just throw it in the sink because we'll probably ignore it anyway. But when you say a cup, do you mean like like a like a masculine protection? No, no, like, I was thinking like um, like when you do your Bane impression and you talk into a cup. You know, never mind. Um, Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do a Bane impression. Uh, I expect y'all. Punishment to be more, I don't know, whatever. Jesus, that yeah. is awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have a cup. It's so much better when you have a cup. Anyway, uh, yeah, they can uh, they can email it to us if they wanted to. Uh, what's our email again? Fuck the fuck fuck the email. There's a contact form on our website. Yeah, go. I was really trying to get at our our social network. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to uh, let's let's have them go right to uh, to Facebook. You can go to facebook.com/slash/groups/slash/nobudgetnightmares. All one word. (laughs) Right. Or just do a search for No Budget Nightmares and you it'll come up. It'll come up. Come up and have a little conversation with us, man. We love to talk to our folks. Yeah, we uh you know, we have like there's like, you know, one or two good conversations a week and we'll uh try to up that number, you know, in the future. There could be more if, if Mo wasn't spending all his time at some sex shop. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, odd noggins on the next episode. Come talk to us about it over on Facebook.com slash group slash No Budget Nightmares, all one word. You can also find Mo over on the old Twitter at Twitter.com slash Drunk on VHS. And you can find me on it at, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. E-Y. I'm the Pope of Twitter Town. <laughs> no, you're not. See anything interesting recently, Mo? Uh, let me pull up my uh, mm, movie, please do my, my oh. movies list. Oh, movies! All right. Uh, yeah, I know. It's just I'm just wasting time here. You know, I should look up what I've been watching. And all honesty, I've been watching a lot of like television. I haven't really been watching. I mean, there's a couple of movies I attempted to watch, but I didn't have the subtitle file for it. So like. like uh, Jodorowsky's Dune I tried to watch, but I can't because I don't have the subtitle file for it. I saw that at TIFF, and I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, I mean, I just I recently uh, downloaded that movie Found that I'll probably watch in the near future. Um, and the that Arnold Schwarzenegger film Sabotage I'll be watching in the near future. I, I, I revisited that movie Bad Words recently, and I, I oh right, yeah, good? it's good. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's way better than than you would expect it to be. Why is that? Because it's funny. Like you just, yeah, but why wouldn't I expect it to be good? Oh, be, I don't know because it just. I mean, the, the the trailers didn't really do it any fucking justice, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but it is. But it is actually pretty good. I'm just going to mention briefly that on a different podcast that I'm going to be recording in the future, uh, the uh, evil episode sidecast, the not-so-evil episodes, one of the topics that we're going to be covering is underrated or underseen or undervalued sequels. Uh, so the, the four people who contribute to that podcast are all choosing a movie to kind of bring to the table. And one of the things that I realized after we did this is you can't just watch a second movie of something without the perspective of also watching the first. Right. So that means that we all have to watch like eight movies at least because some of them have sequels after that as well. Jesus. 
because I'm not going to give away all of the ones that are, are being discussed, but I picked Wrong Turn 2, mm. which is a great movie. But I haven't seen Wrong Turn since like 2003 when it came out. So I, I just recently watched Wrong Turn, and that movie, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not that good, so I feel pretty confident in my choice of its sequel, which is good. It's got Henry Rollins in it. Did anybody pick uh, Cabin Fever 2? Nobody picked Cabin Fever 2. I don't think anyone likes Cabin Fever 2 more than Cabin Fever 1. And I don't like Cabin Fever 1 very much. Oh, no. See, I, th- I think Cabin Fever 2 is way better than Cabin Fever 1. Because I hate Eli Roth. Well, that's fair. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's a really fair opinion to have. Right. In fact, very understandable. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think most people consider Cabin Fever 2 to be a compromised movie. Well, it probably is. Probably. Oh, it, Maybe it, I will it, give it. away what the rest of them are. <laughs> Whenever when that podcast does come out and people are like, hey, some of these aren't as good as others, just remember that the one that really doesn't belong is always the one picked by Mike Merriman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just brings me back to that, um, to the Bollywood episode. So our previous episode i'm just going to talk about this quickly yeah we we were talking about underwater monster movies right right and i picked the host uh and um and one of the other uh people involved picked uh uh, uh, dagon the um, Stuart gordon movie right and uh then humanoids from the deep right jeff martin picked that and fucking mike picked shockwaves the the movie the the Peter Cushing underwater zombie movie Why? Nazi zombie movie yeah. no. which is not a very good movie at all no, I mean I know no. some people love it but it's not very good and doesn't you can st- fit into the theme you can really still at all. you can still love it it's not a good movie yeah that's yeah. right it's one of those things where people have a lot of kind of positive feelings for all sorts of different reasons right right uh, but but you know just this underwater Nazi movie with all of these monster movies around it it was a very bizarre thing especially because we're watching them chronologically. So it's like, let's start with this thing that not only did we all not have a good time with, that includes Mike, who had not seen it before. Mike. Mike, straighten up and fly right, son. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, well, let's stop bitching about other podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, right? Mike, uh, Mike, I almost called you Mike. In fact, not only did I almost, I did. Asshole. I know. (laughs) you have other podcasts as well. Mo, maybe this would be a good time to uh, promote one. Yep. Uh, well, I'll promote both. Um, uh, all right. <laughs> so uh, every Wednesday night uh, on the Second Unit Broadcast Network, uh, we I do um, Drunk on VHS, uh, which I now officially do with John Cross, who also does uh, After Movie Diner. Uh, the after movie diner. <laughs> I think you said it like after after Robert Arador. Uh, yeah, like I was like chewing on my tongue as I said it. Um, yeah, we where we talk about. Uh, I mean, well, we kind of talk about everything. It used to be just movies, and then it turned into like sex shop stories. But then I realized that I've only really been there for like five months, and that there's not a you know there's not enough to make some shit happen over yeah, there. Yeah, there's really not enough stories to keep a weekly podcast going. So you know, then it, it's and it's and it's going to kind of evolve a little bit more. We're going to talk about like you know, funny news stories and, and we'll still talk movies and we'll still talk sex stories when they come up. But, you know, it's going to kind of make it a little bit more all-encompassing so it's not just strictly, oh, we're just going to talk about this one movie. Um, and then I do have uh, a more specific show, which is Wrestling, 
which is where we discuss uh, that week's events in the wrestling community. And is that just you? Yeah, it's me and uh, fitness guru, fitness guru Varsity McGavin. Ah, I see. And how would you, how would you listen to that? What's the second unit? It's podcast? second unit, second unit broadcast network. Um, and they are live uh, Wednesday evenings, except for this one. <laughs> so, but this one won't. This show won't be out by then. So, by the time this show comes out, it, the, the following Wednesday will probably be a live episode. Uh, my it's the evening starts off with uh, you know uh, with Matt Poirier, the the director video uh, connoisseur. Uh, and Jamie Jenkins is on that show as well. Then at nine, his show starts at eight. Or at nine, drunk on VHS with me and John. Uh, then at ten, uh, there's a brief musical interlude. Generally, uh, unless me and me and uh, McGaffin have a lot to talk about, then uh, we'll take that whole hour from ten to eleven. And then at eleven, John has uh, his talk show, uh, Crosstalk. I'll probably cut all this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I've listened to a bunch of these episodes, and it is a lot of fun. Uh, and weren't you, I was going to say, weren't you on an episode of Crosstalk? Yeah, but I only listen to episodes of stuff I'm on anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the great things about it is when you listen live that you can participate in the chat and talk to a lot of personalities from these different shows. Right. And it's, uh, it really is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. You know, if you got time for such a thing, which I don't. I don't either, and I'm involved. Ba-boom. <laughs> uh, I think that's just about everything that's uh, it I, i've been told we have a very special song coming from rue at the end of this episode uh but if uh if there isn't one then you'll never hear this anyway <laughs> i hope that it's a really jaunty tale about suicide uh keep your eyes out your ears out i should say for rue's collection of no budget nightmares tunes called b folk volume one will be uh we'll be promoting that in the very near future as well believe me this collection i mean you've heard the songs on the show you know how awesome it is right it's going to be something special it's going to be awesome all right but with that said good night lovelies let's hope for another 50 episodes good night folks the past is in my head the now each day i dread the middle space I tread Wish it was then instead But yet each day proceeds Can't meet my family's needs And in my thoughts she bleeds And dies among the weeds So I'm taking stock Inside the combat shock I face each day alone, at war abroad, at war at home. my friends from harm I raise the last alarm my past will not disarm my past will not disarm my past will not disarm so I'm taking stock inside the combat shock 
I face each day alone, at war abroad, at war at home.